Lord, we just we just take this time right now just to stop. We're just always on the go. We go, we go, we go. We rush to and fro. And often we are just forgetful of who you are and the intimate way you're involved in our lives and the invitation that you extend to every one of us to know you, to walk with you. So much of the other stuff is really not that important and we just get tangled up in it every day. We get weary and you call us to simplicity. Um, A simplicity of faith, a simplicity of um, priority that we would place you first and that we trust you to take care of everything else. All the obstacles that stand in our way to what we believe you're calling us towards all of the trials that come our way, that in your hands shape us and mature us and grow us. It really requires us to have that faith. So it's a gift from you, Lord. We pray you'd give us it today. Give us faith to see with the new eyes, yourself, ourselves, the world in which we live, and especially your deep abiding love for us, which can sustain us through every storm, every trial, every misunderstanding, every broken relationship, every loss, and take us safely through to the other side because of the anchor that is Jesus who holds us fast, keeps us steady. We thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Good morning. I've got a new microphone here. I realize it's picking up every little like sniffle. I should have taken my allergy tablet this morning. Yep, we are uh, a funny bunch, aren't we? Human beings in this jar of clay, the Bible calls it, right? It's kind of funny. You know, you gotta laugh at the human race. If you, if you uh, spend any time contemplating your own life, it's actually quite amusing, isn't it? Sometimes tragic, but always amusing. Um, my, my name's Grant, I'm a pastor here at New Song Church. Yeah. Woo-hoo. We should go around and introduce everyone's name. We should do that. That's more of the spirit how we want it to be, right? Because we're all together. This is the family. This is the people who belong as Jesus leads us into behavior and belief. But we belong here first, right? Which is difficult sometimes because we, we're all different and some of us have little spiky bits on our personality. So it can be a little rough times. We just got to... We've got to have patience, we've got to, you know, believe the best about each other and continue to pray. Um, and first of all, just really focus on our own stuff, right? Because we've got plenty to be going on with. So welcome to New Song Church this morning. Um, and I was thinking, as Melody said, you know, if you're here, like, checking us out, uh, and I was thinking, it would be good to reword that and say, if you're here looking for something and you maybe don't know what that is. It's not so much checking us out. I think it's checking out something that has caused you to come here this morning. And, and I believe that it's, that it's God. And I believe that he has placed in all of us a longing uh, for completeness, for wholeness, for healing, for joy. And he desires to give it to us. And, and that's what this is about. This is about that we hope that we can hear by the Holy Spirit a word from God that would be for you this morning. That's my prayer as we begin, and we're going to look in Acts. We've been traveling through this journey through uh, 
one of the early parts of the New Testament after the Gospels, we're in the book of Acts. So I just want to say, we have a beautiful new shelving system right at the very back of the sanctuary, and there are Bibles on there. Finally, we have Bibles. So if anyone would like a Bible, either for this service, but also if you'd like one just to take home, please help yourself to a Bible. It'd be like, there's someone out there with a stall that are selling them. Bibles, $5 each. So you can take one. Um, and uh, you're very welcome to that. But if you need one on a Sunday, you want, when you walk in here, you can take one, you can stick it back on the shelf afterwards because it's good to be in the Word. And uh, you guys need to check up on me. You know, I might try to pull the wool over your eyes. You want to be following along saying, that's not what that says. He's making it up. So um, also, last week we talked about the persecuted church, brothers and sisters around the world who are, who are experiencing uh, sort of uh, separate and something's hidden from us, terrible things, simply because of their uh, allegiance and love and loyalty to Jesus Christ and to the gospel. And I thought we'd give some resources. This is a couple of organizations. There are many, but these are two that I'm aware of. If you want to take a picture of that, write it down and, and check out these websites. Open Doors, uh, started by Brother Andrew, uh, and Voice of the Martyrs uh, by Richard Wormbrand, who was a pastor in Romania under communist rule, suffered terrible, terrible things, his whole family and many of his colleagues and friends um, eventually made it to America and started this organization, Voice of the Martyrs. So um, just wanna let you have those uh, resources. Because last week we were talking about uh, Thessalonica and then Berea. I'm thinking about this guy, Jason, who, who ended up, because Paul and Silas couldn't be found when the riot happened and the crowd came to, to grab these troublemakers, they ended up getting Jason and his friends who were local people. And so as Paul and Silas moved on, now Silas, uh, sorry, uh, Jason and his, and his uh, friends who become believers now have to deal with all of this difficulty and this trouble. Um, so we're moving on now because Paul has, has taken off and he's gone, ended up in Athens. And really the only reason he went to Athens was to, to uh, be put somewhere safe. This wasn't really a particularly uh, planned out trip. It's like, where can we put Paul? because these, these people are trying to attack him, trying to shut him, shut him down. So they went to Athens. So we're going to start in uh, chapter 17 uh, and verse 16. We're going to go through to verse um, 34. And this is uh, Paul in Athens. Let's listen to the word of God. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everyone else, everything else. 
From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. We just sung about that, didn't we? As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So it's kind of a pattern forming of, of a, some form of presentation of the gospel in a certain context. Some believe, some do not believe. But this is interesting. At the very beginning, the very first thing we hear about Paul, it says that he was greatly distressed. He was greatly, greatly distressed. And, and the word greatly is very important in there. He was really upset, extremely disturbed, even verging on angry. There was deep emotion happening for Paul when he came into the city and he had walked around. Why was he so upset? Well, it says because he saw that the city was full of idols. Why would that upset him? Idols would be uh, representations of the gods in stone or statues, all the temples. And this got him really upset. Why was he so upset by seeing this city the way it was? Well, the main reason is because his eyes had been opened to the reality of Christ. And he could never again view the world the same way. He saw everything differently. Everything about human beings, their situation, their lives, their religious practice, the whole thing. And, it, and, and he, now having seen what life is really about, who God really is, what God in Christ has really done for human beings, he can't look away. He can't unsee what he's seen. You know, it's interestingly enough, because this film came to mind in thinking about this, and it turned 20 years old. Happy birthday, Matrix. It turned 20 years old on the 31st of March. It was 20 years. Don't you feel old? Wasn't it just yesterday that Keanu Reeves was sleeping in the air dodging bullets? But in the Matrix, the the kind of bit that hinges on at the beginning is he's offered a choice of two pills and he can take the blue pill and continue on as before. I mean, so it's all kind of a computer program reality. It's one of those things that people say, you know, when you say about God, well, maybe it's just a computer program we're living in. I'm like, yeah, that seems more obvious than that there's a creator who made the world, right? But in that film, he could take the blue pill and he would just go back to sleep or take the red pill and understand the truth. Paul, it seems like taking the red pill and everything's changed, and he cannot unsee what he has seen, or unfeel what he has felt, and he is full of conviction about this. 
And this leads to the second thing. He is filled with such a deep sense of compassion for these people who were living out their whole lives, being born and living and dying in this atmosphere, in this culture, in this world, that he sees as broken, flawed, ultimately perishing um, and futile. And because he had become aware in this of the holiness of a creator and of human beings who had completely gone their own way and to their ruin, who were heading for disaster in, in denial of the God who made them. And every bit of, all around him was evidence of this, everywhere he looked, and he was horrified. But he had seen uh, through experiences and, and understanding just the simplicity of the gospel message, and to him it seemed like such an obvious thing to, to, to receive, to enter into relationship with the God who made all people, who loves them and offers them life. So he sees all these idols everywhere on display. Actually, the word saying full of idols is like literally flooded with idols. It was just pervasive everywhere. This place was full of it. He could not avoid it. Now, I couldn't find this quote online. I actually tried to find this quote, and I couldn't find it. I'm sure someone much smarter than me has said it before, but I think this is true. Show me your God, and I will show you your life. Show me your God, and I will show you your life. What you worship, I think, has a, a large effect on how your life is. If your God is unpredictable and prone to sudden anger, I, you will live in fear. I will live in fear. If my God is remote and disinterested, I live in a false and ultimately dest destroy, destroy, uh, destructive. What's the word for that again? Re ref references thesaurus and dictionary in head. Destructive, that's the one. Freedom. If, if, my God, if my God is my God alone, if he's my God alone, I will live in self-righteousness and pride. And if my God is love, I believe we'll live in gratitude and hope. If my God is love through and through, every, every part in eternal measure, I will live a different kind of a life. So in light of Paul's distress, what did he do? He was angry, he was upset, he was sad, saddened by this. Well, the first thing is, before he opened his mouth, this is very important. <laughs> before he opened his mouth, he did this. He stopped, and he looked, and he listened. He stopped, he looked, he listened. It says in verse 23, as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found. As I walked around, he toured the city. I don't know how many days he took there but probably quite a long time walking around the city and just listening and looking, observing. Literally, it means to survey a series of things from the lowest to the highest, a thorough evaluation, uh, observation of this city and its people. Uh, to look attentively, to observe accurately, to consider well. And what did he notice? Well, first thing he noticed, just the cultural atmosphere of the place. He, he says that he, uh, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. And I think that's true for every person. Everyone is incurably religious. We're made by God to live that way. We're made to worship. We're made to find our satisfaction in something greater than ourselves to which we are, uh, we are drawn um, 
Bob Dylan said, right, you've got to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you've got to serve someone. I think human beings are incurably religious. Everyone said the Enlightenment, the Industrial Revolution, etc. It's going to just do away with religion. And it seems today we're even more religious than we ever were. We are religious, and that's what he discovered. And that's really important to know. And, and our faith says that everyone is in some kind of dialogue with God somehow. There's a search going on. There's a seeking. It's happening. That's our confidence to even share the gospel, that we know God's already working in people's lives, and they are already experiencing something. It may be very painful. It may be angry, or it may be quite satisfying in the beginnings of something wonderful, but it's happening. And Paul saw that all around him. You guys are really religious, and also, as he walked around, he discovered a bridge, a way to connect into their world, their religious world. He finds this altar with an inscription to an unknown God. And that was actually part of the kind of philosophy of that time. There was, this was the, a certain group who had said that they're sort of agnostics. They say, we can't really know, so we will not put a name on this God. You know, we're kind of covering all our bases just in case we miss one, Right? Um, so he finds this and says, this is interesting. I, I can speak about this with them. He says later, uh, you know, what you worship, I will now tell you about. I'll fill the blank in with what this is. Who is this unknown God that's, that's causing this wrestling in you and this desire to know and to seek? So a third thing, less intentional probably, but he was out and about in the community all the time. And this led to something else. An invitation. He was invited because he, was, he began to be seen around. And he's talking and he's sharing. He's actually moving his body into the community. He's showing up. And he's there. And it says, they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. They're like, who is this guy? He's around a lot. Let's actually bring him along and see what he has to say. It reminded me of a pretty cool opportunity I had once on Orcas Island, which actually I, I blew it, I think, looking back and especially thinking about this. Because uh, on Orcas Island, there's uh, every 4th of July is a parade, and the, usually the wackiest, craziest people in the parade is the Odd Fellows. That's the name, they're the Odd Fellows. And it's kind of a nationwide organization. Any Odd Fellows in here? Ever been an Odd Fellow? I'm talking about the organization, not just being an Odd Fellow. Because <laughs> pretty much every guy's hand would have to go up including my own, but um, so one time they all dressed in pink, you know, and tell you church people were all like, ooh, those odd fellows, they're a terrible bunch, you know, and that's kind of what it was like. Um, well, I met one of them, Bill. Uh, actually, Bill uh, and his family escaped um, from, like, uh, had spent time in a, in a concentration camp in Eastern Europe. They've got this really crazy, painful stuff from the past. But Bill was one of the main guys in the Odd Fellows. And I ended up coaching soccer because I stood too close to a, a game. And I'm from Britain, so I love soccer, right? My daughter was doing it. I stood too close to the field. And they obviously could tell by face that I'm like, these people have no idea what they're doing. So Bill said, you want to, why don't you help coach? And that was, began this journey of coaching. So, you know, I showed up, right? Got an inv invitation. Well, Bill and I kind of got to know each other more. And finally, Bill was like, hey, I would like to vouch for you to join the Odd Fellows. And uh, I was terrified, because they were kind of, they're pretty wacky people, but you know, I was, but here's the thing, it was like an invitation. So you know, hindsight and all that, I, I, sh I should have just said, okay, I'll come along. But I was, you know, I was scared. I was like, 
oh, what kind of conversation I'm going to have? I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and I justified it to say, well, you know, they do a lot of good in the community. They get fired over people. Stuff. I'm already doing a lot of good in the community. I've got that covered. That was my little mental excuse not to do it, right? But it's just like that, you know. They connected with Paul, and Paul was then invited to join among them. That's a powerful thing. So what do you do next? What does Paul do next? He, he stops, looks, and listens. Well, the second thing he clearly does, which is always really important too, is to stand up and speak. Verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said. So he took the opportunity. When offered, he stood up. It says, always uh, be ready to give an answer for the hope that is, is within you, right, with gentleness. Um, so he took the opportunity. And he had an audience of people. Um, they were a different audience. He'd been spending time in synagogues speaking with Jewish people, so he always shared the Old Testament story with them. Um, now he's with these people, the Epicureans and the Stoics. Um, a lot of you have written about these people, but it's, I, I'm going to kind of read a little description of each one of them and, and see if you recognize that maybe some of these things are still today uh, with us. Uh, the, the Epicureans believe that pleasure is the highest good. Pleasure is the highest good. Does it sound a little American to you? A Western or Scotland would be included in that. Uh, they did not deny the existence of gods or the God, but they denied their involvement in the world. Um, the Stoics believed, their, their, their mantra was follow nature. Uh, they believed that uh, the world is ordered, and order is essentially good, therefore we are also essentially good. Um, that's kind of modern too, isn't it? It's funny, all the philosophies of the past, one reason to study things like that is you realize that there's nothing new under the sun. We're, still, we're just reinventing and you know, repurposing old philosophies. Um, <clears throat> but Paul meets these people, and these, they didn't agree with each other. They were constantly arguing with each other about what's the good life. That's mostly what they talked about. What is the good life? Well, Paul comes in with something very different. Um, but he seems to kind of skillfully meet uh, both of these groups. If you think about what it was that they believed, uh, he talks about that God made everything. So he talks about the order of creation. He says, yeah, I agree with you in that. You know, God who made all things, made heaven and earth. Um, but, but he also talked about that, that God is involved, that he is close to us. Um, and did he know all this? Did he understand their philosophies? I don't know. Did, did Paul, had he studied these things or did he just spend enough time among them and he started to get just an understanding of what, what they believed? Because I think actually, you know, Acts, a lot, I've read a few things about this. It says that this is a very short path. It'll take it two minutes to say what he said, said. I think Luke is summarizing what he said. It was probably long conversations over a period of time with these people. But one thing that Paul does, which is really important, uh, regardless of, of uh, uh, all the details of, the, of his audience, he speaks the gospel in a language his listeners can understand. He actually tries to connect with them. He tries to speak their language. Um, because like uh, with Jewish people, he spoke their language. He spoke the language of the Old Testament. He doesn't talk about Abraham in this passage. He's, he's speaking to them uh, as, as pagan people and philosophers. He actually quotes pagan poets. Um, we would quote Justin Bieber now or something, right? Well, no, he's a Christian. Sorry, what? who's a pagan poet? Slayer. We would quote Slayer. And, um, and, um, but, but he quotes these pagan poets. He, he says, as your, as your poets say, as your people say, that in him we live and move and have our being, and, and we are his offspring. And he said, like, yes, I agree with that. We are made by God. We come from God. We proceed from God. But then he goes on to the strange and new. So he starts talking about this common ground here. Yes, we agree on this. But 
Standing up and speaking, if you spend all your time just in common ground, that is not the gospel. So he has to take that risk and step out. And actually, resurrection, this Areopagus place, one of the kind of tenets of that was that there is no resurrection. They pretty much all agree with that one. So this is difficult, strange and it's new and even, that's what they call it. And I love that. I love calling the gospel strange and new. This strange new idea. And, uh, but he does this. So what about for us? I think there's tremendous hope for us as we consider our culture, the people around us, and our calling to, to share the gospel in what Paul does today. And I think the first thing is we have a lot in common with Paul. He's greatly distressed. I think Christians often, when they look around, wander in the cities of our culture, we get greatly distressed, angry even, upset. We see sexual immorality, like a distorted and inflated sense of the place of sexual gratification, like a highly sexualized culture. It distorts expectations. It diminishes our identity as primarily God's creation, uh, and it damages people, young women who, 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 are, who are kind of coerced or pressured into a, a, a hyper kind of sexualized identification of themselves in the world and young men who have no clue what it means to be a man in an honorable way, in a pure way. Um, issues of racial and gender, conflict and equality. Um, we look around, I know many people I see on Facebook get the, concerned about the lives of unborn children, and, but then also the children who are born into poverty and to dreadful circumstances. It can make us upset, distressed, angry. What happens with the disabled and the elderly? I mean, they're just kind of thrown on the rubbish heap of society so often. The plight of people experiencing homelessness and the seeming unsolvable consequences of poverty is just all around us. We walk around the cities and we feel distressed. Uh, the challenges of just global peace and, and the threat of war, uh, the discrepancies of worldwide wealth and resource distribution. Some countries have an out of control problem with childhood obesity while others, uh, children are dying at a rate of 16,000 per day from starvation related issues. Does this distress you? It distresses me. Um, I think we'd agree the world is a bit of a mess. And I know that it often causes us distress. Sometimes we get very inflamed and we get very angry and we let people know about it and we, get, we point at these things and say, this is wrong, we should stop this. And uh, especially online, I talk about that a lot because I'm online too much. <laughs> but, it's, but when you're on there, there's just this, this, this current of offense and anger often in, in the Christian world. So what are we supposed to do? What was our role in this? As we walk around the city and we feel distressed um, at what we see, well, I think it's very important to seek understanding of what this is about. Why, is, why are these things happening? And the, the, really it's about uh, thinking about the symptoms rather than the cause. So often I think we look at symptoms. We see things that are being done and things that are happening, and we think that is the thing to come against. That is the thing to fight. That is the thing to rid ourselves of or rid this world of, and things will be okay. But I think we've, we kind of miss it with this, and I think Paul gets it. Um, because there's one truth we have to understand, and it's, it's um, that there's a much deeper reality than what I would say are symptoms. So many of the things I mentioned are symptoms of something deeper, which is a misplaced worship. It's idolatry, it's idol worship. And we have many modern idols. 
We don't have statues of silver and stone or wood, but our world is full of idols. And they, and it's this misplaced worship, this worshiping the creation rather than the creator that leads to so many of the broken symptoms that we see in our world that cause us distress. Tim Keller says that uh, a definition of idolatry is looking to your own wisdom and competence or to some other created thing to provide the power, approval, comfort, and security that only God can provide. It's turning to anything less than God for that which you need will always lead to terrible symptoms. It's an issue of the human heart, broken hearts. Uh, John Calvin wrote that the heart is an idol factory. Isn't that an amazing image? The heart is an idol factory. We're constantly engaging and even inventing new idols to replace God. So therefore, there's only one thing in the universe that is strong enough to displace an idol. Only one thing. And that is the living God who created all things and whom we are meant to be in relationship with. We move from the creation to the creator. That is the solution for our problems in this world. And we can like, is it tilting at windmills, right? The um, man of Mancha, La Mancha? How do you pronounce that? Come on, guys. Talking of which, Life Pacific, Ellie, who uh, comes here, Ellie Dawson, she's in a performance at Life Pacific of that very play. You should go see it. But it's the thing, it's like, even like the Pharisees, Jesus said, like, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. I think we, we could sometimes get the cart before the horse, constantly trying to put out fires and things, where really it's, it's, it is a matter of the heart. Uh, at the heart that is, that is aligned, connected, worshiping the wrong thing. And Jesus Christ is the only one that can knock that idol off the pedestal. Return us to the orientation that we were made to live by, that gives us, in whom we live and move and have our being. Like Paul, many Christians are distressed at the state of idol worship in our world. What is our response? I think the culture wars are one we do. We just get in fights all the time. I say this, you say that, we argue, we fight. But what really we're to be doing is introducing people to the unknown God. The God that they, they haven't filled the name in for yet. <laughs> Whoa. But it's, it's known only in a, a serious sense of longing. And we are to tell them about that God. So how do we do that? Well, our perspective will greatly affect our communication. As Paul said, he walked around, looked carefully at the objects of worship, and he says, I found. So stop, look, and listen. First thing, we stop Look and listen. We should be great observers of all the people around us before we even open our mouths. But then once we have done that, spent some time, maybe even been invited in, then we can stand up and speak and we should stand up and speak. And that's scary, isn't it? Is that scary to get to the certain point where you're feeling like, wow, I'm actually kind of in this group and they're sort of accepting me and they sort of trust me. I should probably say something about Jesus now, right? That scares me, and I do this for a living, man, right? I was doing it before I ever got a penny. 
just so you know, and I would be doing it even if, even if you fired me, I'd still be out there standing in the corner going, no, I... <laughs> they lock me up, probably. But here's the thing, so like much has been made of Paul's speech, like it's so clever. Um, and that's true, it seems like it fits really well into the thing. But I think that could be unhelpful for us because we think that Paul's the kind of person that could do that. He saw, he observed, and his observation was different than mine, and his mind was different than mine. He could do this and stuff. But I just, I think that's unhelpful to think that way. Paul was simply being himself in the context, invited in. God knew he wanted him there. What Paul there, not Silas, not Timothy. What did Paul there? And that is really encouraging because if he wanted Paul there, he wants you where you are, and he knows what you know. He knows what you feel. Um, I remember uh, when I was first like doing this pastor thing, and I'd uh, counseling thing was going to come. I kind of knew what the subject was a little bit. Someone's having some issues. Like I would, like ten minutes before they came, I would Google, you know, advice for someone who's right. And it was so stupid because I never ever really ever shared what I found. But what I ended up doing is just like, I'm here today. This person is coming to talk with me. I don't know everything. They don't know everything, but God is with us and we'll pray. And that's the main thing I ever did is just say, let's go to God together. Remind them that there's a God who loves them and he is watching over them. He will lead them through this and, we're, and they're not alone. That's the main thing. So you don't need to know everything. Knowledge is important though. It is important to be growing in your understanding of your faith and the world in which you live. That's the stop, look and listen. I'm gonna mention a book uh, which I've, I've read, a uh, few people, uh, on st- uh, at least on staff, have read it, and it's called uh, Learning to Speak God from Scratch. And I find this book really interesting because it talks about, in many ways, the language that we use to talk about God is no longer effective. Uh, people either tune it out or we don't even know what it means. And it's this whole concept of like, let's really think again what, it, what these words mean. What is hope? What is sin? Uh, <clears throat> so to actually seek to grow stronger in our ability to understand the world is great. But you have to trust that God is leading you to where you end up and he will give you the words you need when you get there. You don't need to worry about that. Um, Don't be afraid. You are sufficient. But here's the thing. It is really, really important that if we're gonna live this way, this is a bit of a warning if we understand the deep issues of idolatry in our species, then it would naturally lead us that we are no less a part of the human race, right? So we probably also struggle with the same issue. We also are very prone to setting up idols. That makes it very hard for us to do this thing, to engage if we have things that are set before God in priority. Uh, Solzhenitsyn, uh, wrote this, which I think is really important. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds. And it was necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart or her own heart. We ourselves are magnetically attracted to idols. I am. I bought a new television yesterday with my money I had saved up. And it's big. Possibly slightly too big. Now that I'm not in Costco. 
I said, my living room. But my previous television was 14 years old. And I thought it was legitimate and I had the money. I didn't go into debt to do it. But I suddenly, in light of this, I was sitting afterwards, we enjoyed watching a natural history with David Attenborough on our nice TV. And I was reading through this and I was like, oh my goodness. I really like this television. And I felt better about life because I had a new television. And I thought, oh man, we are magnetically attracted to idols. They stick to us. We're seeking them out. Because God is harder. God requires that we trust and we're patient and we walk through difficult things and we refuse to relent or turn away. And it's hard. It's much easier to gravitate to something that we can control that's made of wood or silver or, you know, what TV's made of, I don't know, plastic and, and uh, what's the word, uh, buyer's remorse. That's what TVs are made of. Um, so we got to kill our idols first. So the first thing is, it says, while Paul was waiting, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Are we distressed by our own idols? You can, it's easy to be distressed by other people's idols, but we, are we distressed by the idols that we set up in place of God? They should distress us. It should distress us not only for our own benefit, but because it keeps us from being able to engage in this the way God wants us to engage. If God is primary and we're really experiencing the goodness of God, then you will not be able to stop from sharing it. But if you're holding other things in that place, you will miss that joy that will compel you to share the good news that there is life. So here's the thing. We always need to be introducing ourselves to the strange and new idea of the gospel. It should always be strange to where we're at, leading us somewhere that we're a little nervous about, outside of our comfort zone. And it should always be a new idea for us. That's our condition. As idolaters, the gospel comes to us and presents us with a challenging, strange, and new idea every day. And we respond and say, you say, yes. And then we, we grow and we learn. And it's all about Jesus. The first sermon I ever preached here, almost a year ago now, was Who Is This? And it was just, uh, it was my, I wanted, when I first came here, it was the week that I did the candidate thing, you know, you guys voted and all that, but um, I wanted the very first thing to be the core of what I believe. And it's not only Jesus being the core, but the fact that we should always be surprised and amazed by who Jesus is. There's no end to understanding who he is and in that light, understanding who we are and growing into that. It was from the people, they were in the boat that time, it was a storm, and Jesus calmed the storm, and the disciples said, who is this? They were awed by him. And that really is the way to take away idols, is to pursue him, to seek him, and let him, he will satisfy, he will satisfy your soul. Come to me, all who are heavy burdened and weary, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your soul. He is the, the way and the truth and the life. He's the bread of life. He's the living water. And he will satisfy us. That is the way. We don't go around trying to find idols to smash. We worship and pursue him 
primarily and it will take care. He's the one that takes the idols out because they no longer taste any good anymore. He is the one we start to desire more and more and more of, but it takes a first step even just to get broken before him and say, I am an idolater. I am, I depend way more on money or influence or power or my good, whatever it might be that we set in God's place and we say, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to invite the uh, worship team up, including my good friend Dave, who is back playing drums again. Love this guy. Because Dave likes British heavy metal from the 1980s and so do I. And those people are quite rare these days. There's not many of us left now, is there, Dave? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're going to go to communion now. This is an opportunity to return God to the place, the primary priority, number one spot in your life. Because that's okay, because you may have been wondering, you may have been worshiping at other places. But God, God will utterly receive you back just because of Jesus. You, know, you can just come and say, I'm tired of that. I'm tired of putting my trust in other things that fail me time and time again. I need you. I'm coming to worship you. But not only that, but we do it together. Like this is our strength. More and more and more I'm convinced that without this, this will never, this kind of work is both. We need God, we need one another. So communion is all about doing it together. Jesus sat with his disciples and they shared a meal together. Um, and he showed them the extent of his love. And really that's what compels me to work to worship God is because he loves me no matter what, through anything. And so I come in, in that spirit. And I also want to say, you know, we have small groups signing up. Would you believe it's starting again this week? Um, and that is a place where I guarantee you will find strength to live this life. And if you don't do this, <laughs> you will miss a great opportunity to respond to this, the thing we do every week. It needs feet put to it to move in a direction. And I guarantee you, if you sign up, you go to a small group, you will begin, as Paul did, you'll start to see things differently. And also, that is your support system. These, you know, we need a community there that sees you. God sees you, you need others to see you too who will notice, they'll notice if you start to worship your television. What were you doing? Why are you in a small group last night? Oh man, I got this new TV and uh, it just looks so good. Um, well, how about we have a small group next time in your house? We can do the stuff together and then we'll watch, a sh and then watch your, on your TV and it'll be great together. It's a resource God gave you. Let's share it, right? I'd encourage you, sign up. I dare you to sign up for eight weeks of small group, man. And I'm not saying it because I want to Look at the numbers go, ooh, aren't we doing great? I want it because this is uh, for what you will receive from that. And if we're to be a strong community and really enter into the world with Jesus, we've got to do the things he calls us to. And being together in community is number one. It's just so important. So 
give it eight weeks. <clears throat> and if uh, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you like ten bucks if, if you feel it's a waste of time at the end. Only one of you though. Okay, it's my wager. So the ushers are going to bring the elements for communion. And this, our, our communion is open to all who have tr- put their trust in Jesus, really. And it simply is saying, like, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Um, I, I'm done with old ways of living. Um, and I want to follow you. It says, whoever will take up their cross and follow me. It's about obedience. It is about discipline. discipline. But it's all done in the spirit of grace that you're accepted. And so... If you want to follow Jesus today, then come take this little piece of bread and the cup as it comes by you and hold them. We'll take them together shortly um, after uh, a song. What are we going to take? And we're going to, okay, we're going to sing a song after communion. Get it right, Greg. Come on. So, uh, ushers, if you'll distribute the elements, uh, we'll start that. Yeah. Just take this time just to reflect. What might be on the throne of your heart right now? And just kind of even visualize Jesus like he was in the temple when he took a length of rope and he drove the money changers out of the temple, right? This is the temple. Jesus indwells in us. He wants central place because he knows that that's where you will thrive. Just imagine he's coming in. He's going to kick that idol off the throne and replace it himself. Thank you so much, you guys, serving this morning. Really appreciate you. So remember, on the website, there's a page for service. That's another part of this. You know, if you really want to experience what it means to follow Jesus, we got to put feet to move into community, and we got to put hands into serving. Uh, and you may be serving somewhere in the community. That's great. But if you're looking for an opportunity, then. Um, 
do that. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he washed his disciples' feet. Talk about service. He says, as I have done for you, now you go and do likewise to serve. Has everyone been served that wants to be? Almost. evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they're eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And while they're eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Lord, may we find nourishment this little piece of bread it provides nourishment to our body but how much more so than we will find nourishment from your presence uh, your supreme place in our lives that just have that uninterrupted communion with you and a growing one with one another as we begin to see ourselves and others in such a different light thank you and they took a cup when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And that, and that kingdom's coming. Uh, and we are called to name Jesus as Lord now because one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Um, and I, I want to I live in that now. I want to see that kingdom here. Um, that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In my life first, let it start with me. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness and your grace. And it says, and after they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So we're going to sing together. Um, a song of response and then I think we're going to sing one of the songs we sung earlier because uh, I think we need to celebrate as well let's sing one two one two three four 